Yeah, it is always a joy for me to come back to Jacob. God did many wonderful things in my faith and my work with him when I was here as a student. So it's always a joy for me to come back. And as you've heard, the topic today is God's blessings. God's blessings. And I don't know what your expectation is as we even begin this. I don't know where you're at, what you've been taught God's blessings are. And, you know, it's really God's blessings is one of those topics, one of those words that we use so often, but that if someone stopped you on the street and asked you to define them, you might struggle, right? Um, and so I want you to take a, a short exercise just now and just in your mind, don't even tell your neighbor, I'm not even looking to embarrass you, but just in your mind, just think, what do I mean when I talk about God's blessings? You know, like, I know I talk about God's blessings. I know I say, that, oh, that's such a blessing. Oh, if so-and-so is so blessed. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would bless me, right? But what do you mean by that? So grab a definition in your mind. What do you think is God's blessings? And then what we shall be doing as we are walking through God's word is Please keep your eye on that definition so that you might see the way your definition lines up in light of God's word, right? What God says in his word is a blessing. Is that really what you think a blessing is? And so today we shall be looking at God's word, seeking to understand how does he say blessing, blessings should be defined? What are blessings according to God, the one who gives them? And as a starting point, we shall look at various passages, but really uh, we shall begin by anchoring ourselves in one particular passage that helps us to see the blessings that Christ won for the people who believe in him. Um, and it's also a passage that will help us understand Abraham's blessing, right? We know Abraham was blessed by God, even unbelievers, right? Even guys who didn't go to church today. If you ask them, hey, who, is there a guy you know has been blessed in the past? They, they might mention Abraham. All of us know Abraham was blessed. But what is Abraham's blessing? And so please turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. And we shall just use this as the launch pad as we begin to discuss God's blessings. Galatians 3, verse 7 through 14. And it reads... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham 
might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, you know, children are, are quite funny. Many kids imagine that the greatest joy, the greatest thing in the universe is a sweet, right? They love sweets, candy. And when you give them a sweet, their faces light up and instantly you become their friend. Now imagine a child who has a loving father who loves their mom, who loves spending time with the child. This father disciplines him or her with patience and love he provides for the family and protects them from any potential dangers, right? A good father. But now imagine a situation where this child is given a choice between a whole sack of sweets, right? Of candy of all flavors and shapes and sizes, or their dad. And they can only pick one. Right? So I see some of you smiling because you're like, which one would I pick? And I, I hope Shiro there would pick me. But, and maybe some of you are thinking, hey, I would pick the dad because he would buy me sweets. No, it doesn't work like that, right? That's, you, if you think like that, you beat the whole point of the illustration. Because the whole moral of this situation is that children need to learn that there are things that are more precious in life than sweets. Even you, as you are seated here, you have pocket money, I would assume, right? But when was the last time you bought sweets? And when you were small, when you were a kid, you would not imagine having the amount of money you have in your pocket right now or in your M-Pesa and not buying a box of sweets. You would not imagine such a, such a situation. But you know, you know that life is about way more than sweets. And so the child must realize that to have a loving father is of infinitely more importance than to have sweets which will run out anyway, right? So forget the sack of sweets, forget your gunyaya sweetie, I am keeping my dad because he is infinitely worth more than that sack of seeds. So today we shall be seeking to put this point across because this is what scripture teaches us about God's blessings. Because many of us imagine that God, God's blessings are a pack of sweets. We imagine it is health and wealth and big cars, and good grades, and all of these things that, you know, really at your heart, you think this is what a blessed person looks like. And so we shall be looking at God's word and really seeking to understand what does he say a blessing really is, a blessed person looks like. And so beginning with Galatians 3.17, uh, 3.7 to 14, our theme and our summary, if you're taking notes or if you'd like a handle for your mind, is that God's true blessing is God himself. That true blessedness is to know God, to have your sins forgiven by God, to be in a right relationship with him, to belong to him, and to have him as your God. So in short, if you want one succinct statement that you will write down, or even remember when you're living here, remember this, that the triune God's true blessing to mankind is the triune God himself. I'll say that again. The triune God's true blessing to mankind is the triune God himself. And so with this summary in our minds, we shall seek to unpack Galatians 3, 7 to 14 and really the whole of scriptures in order to gain 
One, first of all, an appreciation of God's blessings. And then second, we will embark on a biblical exploration of God's blessings. And then finally, we shall reflect on the application of the Bible's definition of God's blessings. So appreciation, biblical exploration, and application. But first, let's gain an appreciation of God's blessing, beginning with our text in Galatians chapter 3. Because we know, right, many of you, if you've read the Bible story, Abraham had lots of cattle, lots of sheep. He had a lot of wealth. But then when the Bible, right, so we know the Bible is a continuing story. God reveals himself progressively over time, over the years. But what do the New Testament writers, and in fact, even the Old Testament writers, what do they say was God's blessing to Abraham? Because we have all had many people preaching and saying, God, you will be blessed like Abraham. You'll have lots of cattle, lots of sheep, lots of servants. But we're like, hold up. Was that actually Abraham's blessing? Is that the blessing that God highlights as this? This is what I gave to Abraham. So let's dive in and look at Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the logic in these verses is pretty simple. Those who are sons of Abraham partake of the blessings of Abraham. And so the two questions that come up as a result of that is, first, who are the sons of Abraham? How do we understand the people who deserve to get, quote-unquote, who merit, who earn the right to get the blessing of Abraham? Who are the sons of Abraham? But then secondly, what blessing do they get? What is the blessing of Abraham as defined by this text? And as we should understand and begin to wrestle with in our own minds is actually God's definition of what blessing is. So beginning with the first question, who are the sons of Abraham? Read with me verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith. It is not the Jew who is descended from the lineage of Abraham. It is not the person who comes to church every Sunday merely as an act of ritual worship. It is those of faith who are the sons of of Abraham. And this is very significant even in the letter of the, to the Galatians. Because this letter was written to a church very much like uh, you would be, right? That Gentiles were, who had come to Christ and believed in him were being told by the Jews that you cannot really be sons of Abraham unless you're circumcised. As in, yes, you've believed in Christ, but you need circumcision. You need something more. Christ plus something more. But then Paul is writing to them saying, no, 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 no. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is everything that you will need to be included in the blessing of Abraham. But then what is the blessing of Abraham? Read with me verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So I hope you're tracking with me, right? If When all of the nations are being blessed, what, what are they receiving? What's the blessing that they are receiving? The Gentiles are being justified by faith. That is God's blessing. 
And you're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> right? I mean, justification by faith, I know that's significant, but ah, it doesn't seem to track. But again, verse 9, rubber stamps the same thing. It says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And it is referencing the blessing that Abraham received in verse 6. Verse 6 had just talked about the, Abraham, the blessing that Abraham received. That just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so then the question becomes, okay, if we're talking about the blessing of Abraham, this guy who had a lot of sheep, flocks, and, you know, servants, and everything you imagine a man would, lead, would need in this life, and yet the blessing that he received is that of justification by faith. And so you have to ask yourself, why is justification by faith such a wonderful blessing? Why is it such a big deal? Well, look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Well, if you were wondering why justification by faith is such a blessing, wonder no more. It's because the alternative is reliance on works of the law. You see, all of us have a relationship with God. Every human being has a relationship with God. It, it, it is either good or bad. There is either faith in God or hostility towards God. There is no human being on this planet who does not have a relationship with God. Because God created us. All of us have a relationship with God. And so the question is, what is that relationship like? The atheist, right? And, and this is, you guys are an institution of higher learning. You will hear even your classmates go on about how they are such intellectuals, they know God doesn't exist. But that's such a lie, right? There is no such person as merely a scientist. Every scientist is a human being. These people were born in certain families, they grew up in certain ways, they have hostilities against God and moral reasons why they do not want God to exist. And so they fight him in the name of science, but really they, their opposition to God is moral. Just listen to them or look at their lives. No one is denying God exists in order for them to live a righteous life. Nope, not one. And so everyone has a relationship with God and the reality is no one will be counted righteous due to their obedience to the law because we are all sinners. All of you seated in these seats, nice looking as you are, you are such sinners. Including myself standing up here, you probably couldn't tell, right? But I am such a sinner, genuinely I am. So that if I actually stood before God on the basis of my own actions, I should be condemned right now. And it's the same for you. And so because no one will ever be justified by works of the law, that's why justification by faith becomes such a blessing. For you to be counted righteous for the sake of another is such a blessing. Read with me verse 11 and 12 and just see this continuing, that now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
And this is the reality, right? With the law, if your reliance is on the law, if you will justify yourself, then realize this. You have to keep everything the law says. And because you have not kept everything the law says, you are under a curse. Because cursed be everyone who does not abide by everything the law says and do them. And that's you. You are cursed before the Lord based on your own performance. And so am I. And so then it becomes, this, this is why, right, you begin to realize then why faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save us. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us that which the law could never do for us. Read with me verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So you see that, I hope you see the two cursed is everyone, right? In verse 10, there is a cursed in every, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's you. But that does not apply to Christ because Christ, right? The amazing thing about justification by faith is that the triune God, in blessing us with salvation, has given us everything that we need. That the Father has sent the Son who took on human flesh. He lived the kind of life you cannot live, that you haven't lived. You guys have sinned, if not this morning, then yesternight for sure. Right? All of us who are here, we, if we just examine our last 24 hours, there is enough evidence there to condemn us to an eternity of hell. That's just the way it is. Cast is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the law and do them. But then God sent his son and he was not cast based on verse 10. Based on verse 10, Jesus deserves to live. He lived the perfect life. He abided by everything written in the law. He earned a righteousness before God that is rightly pure, perfect in every way. But then you see in his death on the cross, he actually became a cast, according to verse 13, because cast is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so as the son of God is hanging on the tree, on that cross, he becomes a curse for us. That the blessed son of God became a cast so that the cast enemies of God might be adopted as God's children through him. This is the amazing substitution that God has given us in Christ. That the Father has loved us enough to send the Son. The Son has loved us enough to come. He has lived for us. He has died for us. He has risen for us. Now he is interceding for us and he will come back to take us home. And so the blessing then is that we actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have received the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what justification by, by faith is actually leading to. We are not just counted righteous simply so that we don't go to hell. No, it is so that we have God himself not only with us, but in us. Read verse 14 and you'll see that that's really what the blessing of Abraham is leading up to. So it says that Christ became a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
And so, yeah, let me, let's just take a, a quick second here and, and ask you, right? How well is your definition at the start of this someone tracking, right? When you are thinking about God's blessings, would you actually have said that blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, according to Psalm 32, right? Blessed is the man before whom God does not account their guilt. Blessed is that man. Would you have said that? Because I suspect that many of us would think blessed is the guy who's making all the A's. Blessed is the lady who will have a job immediately. In fact, they will start their job in the last semester in school, right? Blessed is that person who will drive a big car, live in a fancy house. Blessed is that person who will never get sick, quote-unquote. I wonder how that even works. Like, how do you think you'll die? You know, because you will die, you know? Or, or perhaps maybe some of you hope not to, you know? But yeah, may, perhaps you would have had some very materialistic conceptions of what blessedness is. But then according to God's word, no, 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 no. The blessing of Abraham is that he was counted righteous because he believed in God. And why is that such a blessing for us? It's because when we are counted righteous before God, when our enmity with God is removed, then we receive God, the Holy Spirit, God himself comes to dwell in us. And so then you see that God's greatest blessing is God himself. That when the triune God has willed to bless the world of fallen humanity, he, the Father has revealed himself by sending the Son, who has revealed himself by living and dying for us. And the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit in whom God dwells with us. So that we have God as our blessing. That's what this text is saying. And so let me ask you a question as well at this point is, have you accepted God's free offer to remove the curse that is upon you? You know yourself. You know, you can deceive your friends, your neighbors, your family, but you know yourself. You know that the resolutions you set in January did not live up to much. You know that there are ways that you realize you are a bad person and you would like to change. You know yourself. And so you stand before a God who knows you even better than you know yourself. And the question is, are you still in your sin? Are you still trying with your own efforts, with your own energy, based on works of the law, to try and justify yourself? To, earn and, to try and earn a righteousness of your own? Give up. You know, it has been said that the definition of madness is doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? How long will you live as if you don't actually see that you cannot? You cannot please God. You cannot glorify God. If you set for yourself a target that today I will not sin, I will go and I will read God's law and I will keep it all the way till evening, you cannot because you are a sinner. And so give up. Or perhaps you're here and, and you have seen how pathetic you are and how miserable your efforts are at pleasing God. And so you've given up. You've been like, yeah, me, I'm just I'm one of those guys who will go to hell. There's no hope for me. And perhaps you have even indulged even more just thinking, yeah, there's no hope for me. But no, no, Christ became a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. 
so that you who have become accursed through your disobedience to the law might be blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. I call you now this afternoon, come and find salvation in Christ. Come and be blessed, truly blessed. The things that you've been seeking and living for, the material things, wealth and health and all of those things, these are just such shallow things. They do not satisfy. Come to Christ and find true blessedness. And yet as we are speaking this way, perhaps the thought might strike us that, hey, maybe it's only Galatians 3, 7 to 14 that speaks this way. Does the whole Bible actually suggest that God's blessing is God himself? And just to be clear, even if this was the only text that spoke like this, we would believe it because this is God's word. But then it, it is useful and helpful for us to take a survey and move on to our second point, a biblical exploration of God's blessing. What does the Bible, as a, as a big picture, if we step up and look at the story from Genesis to Revelation, what does it say true blessedness is? And again, I invite you once again to just keep track of the notions you came in with, what it really means for someone to be blessed, and allow that to be shaped by God. If you are a Christian here, then let God teach you what it means to be blessed. If you are not a Christian, come and be blessed. All right, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. That should be quick for you to turn to. Right? It's a few pages after your Bible starts. Genesis 1, verse 22. And it would intrigue you perhaps to find out that the first use of the word blessing in the Bible actually is not applied to human beings. It's applied to animals. Um, Genesis 1.22 says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the blessing here is that the animals, through reproduction, get to participate with God in his work of creation. That's a beautiful thing. That God did not create every animal that would ever live all in one instant. No, actually God has purposed that the way he continues his work of creation is through reproduction. That's incredible to think that even animals are taken into this blessedness of being involved with God in his work of creation. And what about man? Genesis 1, 26 to, to 28, just a few verses below that. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And this is a beautiful thing, right? So man is created in God's image for God's glory. And man is given, just like the animals, the commission to continue God's work of creation. But then while the animals are doing their own thing, that what man is actually doing is God is using them to create people made in his own image and for his glory. 
Like that's, that's a wonderful thing. And you know, that speaks, that speaks to the issue that we hear raging uh, about abortion, right? It does speak to it. Because many people have actually cut God off from that conversation entirely. It's not about God's work in creation anymore. It is about the parent's right. The woman has the rights over her own body. But the child in her body is not part of her body. That's a human being in their own standing before God, created in God's image. And so, yeah, in the same way, for example, that God has willed to save sinners. And the way God saves sinners is through the preaching of his word. And so if I come here and I preach God's word and you believe in Jesus Christ, and I pray many of you do who are yet to know him, if you believe in Jesus Christ because of my preaching, you're not my convert. God used me as, as a way to get the gospel to you, and he has saved you himself. You belong to him. And it's the same principle with procreation as well. Human beings might even be sinning, but then whoever is born, and they will be judged for that sin unless they repent, you know, and put their faith in Christ. But the baby that is born or created belongs to God, is made in God's image. And so we have to reshape the way we think about these things. God is the one who blessed us with that blessing to be able to reproduce and multiply. And so if if any of you, and I know you all are uh, at that age that perhaps you're wrestling with these things, think rightly. Think in a way that glorifies God because it is not a small thing for a human being to be conceived. It is God's work of creation continuing. And so, yeah, and yet God blessed human beings as well by giving them a stewardship over the rest of creation, right? Exercise dominion, he tells them. Subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that move on the earth. God created mankind as kings. Adam was a king. Eve was a queen. Right? They were kings and queens underneath the king of the universe. They have been given real dominion, real authority, but it is underneath God's authority. And so then God creates the animals, Genesis 2, brings them to Adam, you name them. Right? God plants a garden, brings, you know, gives it to Adam, you work it and keep it. So there's a collaboration there, a cooperation there, a relationship of love that God has instituted between him and humanity. And that office is exalted. But then you know what happens. The devil comes in the form of a serpent and deceives Adam and Eve. Tells them that, hey, you know what? The deal you have from God is not even good enough. He He has made you kings and queens over the whole of the universe. Everything that he has created, except yourselves and him. No, I think you can do one better. Try and topple him. Become gods in your own right. And of course, it cannot work. It cannot work. You cannot dethrone God. For all the atheists railing, God is still there. You know, Psalm 2 says the nations rage and the, the kings plot and they rage in vain. But the one who sits in heaven simply laughs and holds them in derision. Like I've set up my king in Zion, right? Like God is unaffected. Like we are, we, it's like I always picture the devil and human uh, flailing as like a kid throwing tantrums, you know, swinging the hands and the legs, and you can just hold the head, right? And just like, and and they just cannot hit you, because God is God. And so Adam and Eve, in trying to overthrow God, lost their blessedness. And so now what you have is the serpent is cast. The ground is cursed, 
the woman receives pain in childbearing and strife with her husband. The man receives painful toil and death at the end of his life. And we are all experiencing the results of that curse, right? It is, you find the difficulty in studying, don't you? Isn't it easier to watch a movie than to study? Much easier. But then watching movies will not help you, will it? Right? So our work has been cursed. We have been cursed. Relationships are cursed, right? My wife is right there, and I was just telling the past service that marriage is hard, man. Like, that curse is real. You guys are just constantly, you know, batting heads. It's like, wow, like, why is it so hard to live with, with you? And why is it so hard to live with you, you know? Just that curse is real. We feel it, right? We lose loved ones. Death is real. We shall die. Have you actually ever thought about that? Like, actually, you will die. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? The curse is real. And yet, in the midst of all of that, it's easy to miss the true part of that curse. The real punishment that Adam and Eve received. Because, you see, the main blessing of the Garden of Eden is that God was there is that they were in a right relationship with God, is that they were loving each other as they were loving God, is that they were thankful for each other on account of God. They were worshipping God in their work. They were worshipping God in their relationship. It was blessed because God was there. But then the main part of the punishment is now they are cast out from the garden. They have no direct access to God. So do you understand that the worst part of this world is not that there are diseases or natural calamities or war and death? Do you understand that the worst part of this world is that we do not have direct access to God? Like this world is so fallen that it's actually possible for human beings to say that God doesn't exist. Like God has become so inaccessible, it's possible for us to even try and do away with him entirely. So the misery of humanity comes from our alienation of God himself. Because he has made us for himself, nothing else will satisfy us. Nothing else. As, as I, you know, I give an illustration of, on, of an adult-sized shoe. Uh, you are an, an adult-sized shoe. So you can try to fit many babies inside that shoe, but they can't wear it. There will always be a space to be filled because they do not satisfy. They cannot fill it. It wasn't designed for them. And so you have a God-sized hole in your soul, and only God can fill it. And so everything that you chase, be it money or fame or power or pleasure, all of those things will never satisfy you. You're always seeking for more. Because it doesn't satisfy you. And yet you're convinced that the more will satisfy, right? When you get your first thousand volt, uh, perhaps in high school or perhaps in primary, for those of you guys who grew up rich, right? you're like, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, if I get 100K, now that's something, right? Ask the guys who are working. They get 100K every month. It doesn't satisfy, especially now with the economy, right? And then you think, oh, maybe, maybe a million, right? If I had a million, that would satisfy you get the million, but there are billionaires, right? Maybe a billion will satisfy. But there are billionaires who are still stealing. Many of them are still in government, right? It does not satisfy. Because you were not created to be satisfied by small things. Everything compared to God is a small thing. 
God made us for, to, for himself. And so when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, then it's bad news for them, right? Fast forward to Abraham, who is called by God and given the promise, I'll give you the land of Canaan. And his descendants, Israel, are told, I will give you the land flowing with milk and honey. And many of us, right, when we started out, while many of us would have defined blessings as material things, you would think that, hey, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? That's quite something. That's quite something. Uh, I'd like to have a, a piece of property flowing with milk and honey. See, I could do it good for myself there. But then don't miss the point of the book of Exodus. That the second half of the book of Exodus is about the building of the tabernacle, the design and the building of the tabernacle. And what is the tabernacle? It is God's presence in the midst of Israel. And if you miss it, Moses and the Israelites did not miss it. After they make the golden calf, God is angry with them and he tells them, I will give you the land, but I won't go, go in with you. And let's see what they answer, right? Because it's easy for us when we look at the old covenant and we see God promising them that, oh, if you, if you worship me and if you're faithful to me, I will give you lands and houses. I will make your enemies scatter. I will give you health. I will give you children. I will bless your livestock. I will bless your crops. And you think, wow. The old covenant was a really good deal. And yet you miss the whole point of the old covenant. The whole point of the old covenant was that in the tabernacle and in the temple, the Israelites had God living among them. God himself was that covenant's greatest blessing. The others were just by the ways. They were to prove to the nations that God is the true God. And yet they were only shadows and types pointing forward to the great, greater blessings in Christ Jesus. But let's see what Moses and the Israelites think in Exodus 33, verse 3 to 6, and 15 to 16. So this is God speaking to them after they've made the golden calf, saying, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. So listen to that. What is the disastrous word? Is that I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey, but I won't go with you. And yet the problem, again, with the way many people preach nowadays, the prosperity gospel, is that it is made to seem that the land flowing with milk and honey is the ultimate thing whether or not God is there. But the people understood that that was a disaster. Verse 5, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are, stiff you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in you going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So you see that, right? To have the promised land without God was a disaster. Because God was the blessing of the old covenant. Having God in the camp of Israel 
was what they were supposed to live for. When you, th- when you read the book of Leviticus, it's all about the fact that because God lives among you, this is how you are to live. You are not to dishonor the presence of God lest he be angry with you and strike you. Or worse still, lest he be angry with you and get you out of his presence. And that's why the greatest sin in the old covenant is that of idolatry. Because it is the rejection of the central blessing of the covenant. To go after other gods is to reject the true blessing of the covenant, which is God himself. And that's also why exile was the greatest punishment for the old covenant. Because it was a removal from the land in which the temple of God was built. It was to lose access to God himself. And so do not be deceived by those people who misunderstand the old covenant and make it all about wealth and productive land and health and security. These things were just secondary. The main blessing was that God was with them because God is the blessing of the old covenant. Again, fast forward again to Christ. This theme continues. Why is Christ's coming such a big deal? Because our Lord Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Because in Christ, the second person of the Trinity has actually come. This is God himself in the flesh. He is with us. And this is what John was publishing and announcing in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 and 14 and 18. And I read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt. The word therefore dwelt is the word for tabernacled. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, The only begotten God who is in the Father's bosom has made him known. So some of your translations might say who is at the Father's side. But the, the Greek there is in the Father's bosom. A very intimate connection showing the oneness of the triune God. That when Jesus Christ comes, the second person of the Trinity comes, he has shown up to save us himself. This is God with us. That the Father sent the Son. The Son lived died and rose again to save you, to save me. And now the ultimate blessing of the new covenant is to have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. You see, while the old covenant was only a shadow, a copy of the greater things to come, they had God dwelling among them, but he was in a tabernacle outside of their tents, right? But now the new covenant, the true blessing is that we have God not only with us, but in us. As Christians who have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have God living in us. While they had the temple among them, what does the New Testament say of believers and of the church of Christ? You are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so what is the blessing that God, that Jesus died to secure for us? Let's go back to Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Listen to it again with with this whole context of God's presence in mind. That before the fall, the greatest blessing is mankind is in blessed fellowship with God. 
after the fall, the greatest loss is that mankind has lost touch with God and is lost in their sin. And that now in the new covenant, we have the blessing that Christ has come to purchase for us. Verse 13 and 14 of Galatians 3. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And brothers and sisters, this is what a blessed person looks like. A blessed person has God, knows God, is forgiven of their sins. So I hope you realize that God is the highest blessing of the old covenant and he is the highest blessing of the new covenant as well. That the old covenant was only a shadow to a time when God would truly dwell among his people. And he has come in the person of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And really ask yourself, what's the ultimate hope for the Christian? Let's go to Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. What is this all about? When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and when we live for the Lord and as we are hoping for Christ's return, what are we praying for? What are we hoping for? Read with me the blessed description of the city of God. Revelation 22 verse 1 to 5. And I invite you, if you're a Christian here or if you, God saves you even here in this service, go read Revelation 21 and 22 and live as if that's actually your future because it is says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see, brother and sister, our hope for heaven is not about the streets of gold, but about the face of God. It is not about success that we can call our own, no. It is about access to his glorious throne. You see, we don't desire to go to heaven and find God there. We desire to go to God and find heaven there. God is the true blessing of heaven. And so don't be deceived by the people who tell you, come to Christ, that he might give you this and that. No, no, come to Christ because he is enough. Come to God because he is sufficient. And just as a side note here, some of you might ask, but, but didn't, Christ, didn't Christ die so that we might be healed, right? By his stripes we are healed. And my answer to you might shock you. It's like, yes, he did. He did. But then the question is, when will that be realized? And that's when you get deceived. Is if someone tells you that in this life, in this yet fallen world, 
that you will experience perfect health, they are lying to you. But when Christ returns, when we see God face to face, there is no disease that could ever survive a glimpse of God's face. There is no sin that will ever survive a glimpse of God's face. And so we continue to wrestle with sin. We are not yet perfected. We continue to struggle with illnesses. Some of you will die of illnesses. Some of you will be hit by trucks. Right? Death is just that. But that's the reality. We live in a fallen world that is yet under God's curse. And even though we are saved by God in Christ Jesus, the reality is that this world is not yet restored. We have not yet been perfected. And that's why we keep looking forward because when Christ comes back, he will make all things new. Right? And so don't buy the lies. It is not, the promise is there, but it's not for here and now. Imagine in heaven we will walk on streets of gold and we won't even notice them. Why? Because we will have God. We will have God. And that leads us to then our third point as we finish up and as we wrap this up. The application of the Bible's definition of God's blessing. So we've seen, we've, we've appreciated what God's blessing looks like. Abraham was blessed, yes, because he was justified by faith. Not because he has a lot of cattle. We have also appreciated the biblical exploration of this truth from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is the central blessing that we are to long for. But then, how do we apply that one? So as the first point, realize the falsehood of the prosperity gospel. Because what the prosperity gospel does is that it majors on the minor. And it, in so doing, it does away with God completely, right? It tells you, hey, focus on the passages that God told Israel. He would bless them with land and milk, land flowing with milk and honey. He would bless them with health and wealth and all these things. And yet even Israel knew that if we go to that land without God, that land would rather stay. Moses himself is saying to God that if you will not go with us to Canaan, we would rather stay in the wilderness. And the wilderness is pretty bad. I don't know if you've seen a desert. They were in a literal desert. And so they, they are like, God, if you will not go with us there, that land with milk and honey is not worth having. And yet the prosperity gospel flips that around and says, come to God so that you may gain the land with milk and honey. What in the world is that? And, and so we, we demean God and we devalue him as if the only, he is only as good as the things he gives to us. But that's not true. And so they tell you, come to Christ and you will be rich. But then I retort, no, work hard and you will be rich, right? Study hard and you'll pass your exams. You don't need Christ for that. Study hard. Work hard in your job and you'll get promotions. That's how it works. Or, sadly, in Kenya, bribe the right people and you'll be rich. Right? We know that this thing is going on. Some, of, some, some people, at least in this university when I was there, they had deals with the lecturer, including sin, in order to get good grades. Hey, if your, if your main concern is good grades, perhaps you might even try that. Of course, it's sinful, but I hope you see the ridiculousness of demeaning God for the sake of good grades or a large paycheck. But I say instead, in light of God's word, 
Come to Christ if you are weak and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Come to Christ if you understand that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. Come to Christ if you are hungry and thirsty, for he is the bread of life, and he will give you the water of life. Take of him and drink so that you will not thirst. It will endure to eternal life. Come to Christ if you understand that you are an enemy of God and that God has offered you the terms of peace at the expense of the life of his incarnate son. You see, just as we were starting out and we were talking about the child with, you know, who is offered the, the sack of sweets versus their dad, the, sack, the, the child has to realize that life is about more than sweets. And we also have to realize that life, Christ said that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. You have to realize that life is more than just about good grades and money and fame and wealth and everything else that these guys tell you, or even health, even health. And just as the child needs to realize that having a loving father is of infinitely more worth than having a sack of uh, candy that will end anyway, we also need to realize that to be reconciled to God, to have him as our God, is our highest and ultimate blessing. And so yes, God will restore all things, but not now. For now we groan, as Paul says, and all creation grows, our groans are waiting the revelation of the glory of God. And so realize that God is the ultimate blessing and hold fast to him. But then secondly, how then are we to relate to material things? Because when you listen to me, you might think, all right, uh, you know, I'm going to have a bit of an awkward relationship with material things, right? And perhaps you should, way more than you do. You know, Christ did actually look someone in the face and say, you know what, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And he just went down and like, yeah. I wish you had said something different, right? But then, be content, right? First, the first thing that you need to do in light of the fact that God's blessing is God himself, not the other things he gives us, is be content with what you have because it is God who has given you. And more importantly, be content with what you have because God is with you. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 says this, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so learn to rejoice, not because you have the things of this world, but because you have the God who created the universe. Learn to rejoice and be thankful for the things that you have, even though you might be tempted to look down upon them. Keep your life free of the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. You have him for all time and he is good enough. God is enough. But then secondly, use money for God's glory. Do not worship it. Don't worship money. It's not worth it. As we just gave the illustration of the thousand bob, the 100k, the million, the billion, it will never satisfy. Think about it in terms of education. You guys are students, right? There was a point in your life when 400 marks was everything you were living for. You would have tithed and gone to church even for seven keshas in a row to get 400 marks. 
But then you go to high school, and no one really cares what you got in KC, KCP, right? Just everyone here just scored around the same. So hey, you know, it just like the one thing that you were living for, that you studied for so hard, loses meaning just like that. And you guys are now in Kampo, right? There was a point in your high school life where you would have almost chopped your left arm off to get an A. It was just everything you thought about was I need to pass my KCSE. Or perhaps some of you didn't actually care, which is bad, by the way, you should care. But then now you're in Kampo, and when was the last time you showed someone your KCSE certificate? Like, huh? Yeah? It's pretty good, right? it loses meaning so quickly right before your eyes. And it's the same even with the grade you score here, you get your first class, second upper, you go out there, no one cares what you scored. What people care is, can you do the job, right? So your first class will help you get into the interview, but really what your employer is looking for is competency. And it loses value just like that, because you know what, you work there, you have your first class, I have a friend, and because I'm, you guys don't know him, and I'm not mentioning his name, this is not slander, he's called a first class, and he just got sucked from a job because he is just a terrible worker, doesn't show up on time, you know, he is just, you know, God is working on him though, right? But that's the reality, is, is out there, what you guys are living for now, what is your highest reality now, will very quickly lose value out there. And that so goes everything we live for. If you're a single person, you might think the biggest thing is, is marriage, man. If, if only I was married. A married man, I'll tell you, it has its difficulties, right? Like that's the reality with everything else that you might be tempted to idolize in your heart. Do not glorify it. Use it to glorify God. And so then 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, as we wrap it up, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, right? So tell the rich people, don't put your confidence in your money. Worship God, love God. Christian, I want to tell you this morning, you may not have the best grades. Hey, work hard as a stewardship to God, right? You may not have everything that the world has. But let me tell you this, you have way more than the world ever will have. You have God himself. If you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been reconciled to God, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't need anything else. I dare say you're sorted for this life. And so may you actually believe that. And may your confidence in God actually grow. May you, go, may you get to the point where Paul would say, hey, I have learned how to abase and how to abound. I know how to feast and how to not have. I'm okay either way because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I have Christ, everything else is counted secondary. I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so use your grades to glorify God. Use your money to glorify God. Use your relationships to glorify God. Do not put your confidence there. Because the man who is blessed 
is the one who has God. And so if you are here and you have not believed in Jesus Christ, I call you to faith in him. That you may find in him everything you will never find in money, in relationships, in fame, in power. Go watch interviews with celebrities. It doesn't satisfy. I call you in God to find everything you were made for. And I also call you to be justified by faith in Christ because every day you have lived, you have sinned against God and you've been incurring his wrath. And you will be. You will be. God is not to be mocked, says he says in his word. And so come to Christ that by believing in him and by repenting of your sins, you may be counted righteous. And then you will get the true blessing of the triune God himself. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for just the blessing of this truth. That you, the triune God, who created the world, who created us, against whom we have sinned in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, that you have not counted that against us. That in 2 Corinthians we say that in Christ you are reconciling the world to yourself, not counting our sins against us. And that even here in Galatians 3, you have shown us that true blessedness, the real blessing of Abraham was not land and money and cars and all those things. He didn't even have cars. He couldn't own them. They didn't exist then. And yet we find our identity in them now. But that the true blessing he had, Lord, is that you did not count his sin against him. Is that you did not destroy him for his sin. And that that's the blessing that we have who are in Christ. We are truly blessed who have you for our God. And so we pray, oh God, if there's anyone here in our midst who is hearing these words, that you would convict them and bring them to a point where they realize that everything else they chase is created and it cannot satisfy. Only you can. And may you frighten them with your wrath, O oh God, so that they might run to Christ and find shelter in him, because cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. But, O oh God, may they find in Christ the one who became a curse, so that they might be blessed, because cursed is he who died, who hangs on a tree. And Jesus became a curse for us, so that we might receive the ultimate blessing of having you dwell with us, and even having the hope of your glory, that we will see your face and worship before your throne. You will be our light forever. Oh God, may this be great in our hearts. May we hope so squarely in you as to be content with whatever you seek to apportion us in this life and to be hopeful and thankful even for the life to come. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.